This is Efficiency On Demand. On Demand. High performance. Human optimization. Human optimization. People think hectic. Craziness. No time. No fun. Just work, work, work. work, work. work. Perform, perform. Perform. Harder. Harder. Push. Push. Machines. High pressure. No time. It's time to slow down to speed up. You owe more to yourself. This is Efficiency On Demand with Monique. Monique is a high-performance and human optimization specialist. During the show, Monique and her guest will talk about all things time management, impactful leadership, mindset mastery, and energy efficiency. It's time to take control of your time and live life limitless. This is Efficiency On Demand, and this is your host, Monique. Welcome back to Efficiency On Demand. Today, I have a wonderful guest whom I also met in person. Not everyone that I have on the show did, but I will change that for sure. We met first on a business conference of a month, two a few weeks, whatever, ago, um. in October. <laughs> and uh, basically, we were sitting in a workshop about finances, business finances. Great workshop. Not my topic at all. And Not it mine was, either. <laughs> and it was just really funny. And we chatted a little bit about like different ways of setting up a business, especially because we're location independent. But really, what really stuck out to me was when I went to his workshop then, because it was about content repurposing and using what you have already to, to make the most out of it. And obviously, I'm all about efficiency. So there we go. That was a great topic. So let me introduce you to Ray Blakeney, who is a part-time sword fighter. And right. uh, the other part time, he's probably rocking pajamas at home. That on a good day, that's exactly true. Hi, Monique. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for taking the time. Maybe you explain everyone out there what the sword fighting is, or if that is just a thing. No, it actually is. Well, it's it is a thing. <laughs> but I've been practicing a Japanese martial art called kendo for going on. <gasps> dating myself for about 20 years now. Wow. Um, so kendo is the way of the sword, and I have yeah. been practicing it since I was 22. And I'm 40 years old right now. So I guess 18 years I've been yeah. practicing sword, part-time sword fighting. I love it. I do it three times a week love for it. two hours. In fact, that was 12 hours ago. I was being hit <laughs> over the head by a sword by, by some of the beginners. So I am a part-time sword fighter. I love it. Especially because so I got into martial arts a little bit. I don't want to say I actually got into martial arts because that would be over-exaggerating. But <laughs> I got a little bit into martial arts um, over two years ago when I decided that people on the street can't crap my ass anymore just as they want. And if they do, I want to just kick their whatever is between their legs. Usually it's balls. So yeah, exactly. tiny ones, but you know. So um, I want to be able to hit them hard. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to self-defense and the great thing is in Chiang Mai, we have an amazing gym who's doing like the more traditional martial arts, if I may say so. Mm -hmm. So Chet Kundo mm -hmm. and they have Silat and Panglipur and different versions, Indonesian and Filipino martial arts. I'm half Filipino, so I'm very familiar with the Silat. I have some oh, uncles awesome. who practice that. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. And yeah, I definitely going to go back now that I'm crowned here a bit more and I can't wait. Nice. Nice. 
So tell me when you're not sword fighting, what else are you doing in your business? For my business, let's see. I own a website called LiveLingua.com. It's the third largest online language school in the world. I run it with my wife, who mm -hmm. at this point, I'm transitioning out and she's transitioning into the quote unquote CEO position there. It's slightly delayed because we're expecting our first son in four weeks. So I'm assuming she's not going to take over you know, a week after our son's <laughs> yeah. born. There would probably be a few months there before we make that full transition. I am also starting an online marketing agency called The Infinite Upcycle which does the content amplification, content repurposing that you talked about and I talked about at the conference we were at. I own a website called twidgicate.com, which is a social network for teachers and students, kind of a gated mm. community. We have 200,000 registered users there. Up until recently, I owned a chocolate factory in the Philippines, and I am the host of the Anomalous Educator podcast, which helps teachers make money online. So you didn't tell me about the chocolate fabric before. <laughs> it comes up every once in a while. I don't actually like chocolate, oddly enough. I'm more of a gummy bears guy myself. Well, we Germans did that quite well. Exactly. exactly. You guys did the both. You did the chocolate and the gummy bears. I just went the gummy bear route. So. Right. Okay. Gummy bears and chocolate are great, though. They are. Mm, chocolate. Okay. So, okay. Let's, let's get started with all of that. So we talked a little bit before, and you told me that basically starting businesses and making them successful is kind of an art for you. Explain a little bit about that. I kind of stumbled into this. This was not, I didn't study business in college. Nobody in my family comes from a really a business background. Most of them are academics. You know, I have professors at Harvard, my family, all the rest of it, but they study theology and philosophy. So it's very, very different areas. And when I went to college, I was, I did what everybody else expects you to do, right? You get out of college and you get a well-paying job in a stable company. And I was working there, right? It was a, and the company treated me well. I'm not going to pretend, I'm not going to lie and say that I was miserable at this company. It was fine. It, yeah. it just wasn't unique at all. At the time, there was a commercial on the TV for the US Navy, I believe. Now, I never was going to join the military because if somebody shoots at me, I'm running the other way as fast as physically possible. <laughs> yeah. But I love the saying that they had in there. And the saying was that if they wrote a book about your life, would anybody want to read it? And that really struck me. Because on the path I was on right then, nobody would want to read the book about my life. Mm. If I went to a cube every day and I wrote code. If I did that for 40 years and wrote a book about it, nobody would read it. And I wanted to have a life that somebody could write a book about. So at that point, I dropped everything and I became a volunteer in Mexico through a program called the Peace Corps, where they paid you $100 a month. And I worked with indigenous communities in southern Mexico for two years. Mm. And I always had this like ache to want to try to start my own business. It was weird. When I was 10 or 11, everybody in my class said, Ray, you're going to own your own business one day. But it wasn't even on my radar. I mean, it didn't even occur to me. But after then, I met my wife and she was a Spanish teacher. She was my Spanish teacher, which is how we met. And she always wanted to own a school. I'm like, let's do it. Let's give it a shot. So we launched, um, this was a brick and mortar school that mm -hmm. we launched after I finished my two years in the Peace Corps. And I loved it. The, the creative process is what I like because you get to try things. You get to see what works, what doesn't. You get to go back and fix it. Yeah, there are the ups and downs. I think in any creative process, you're going to have the ups and downs. And I fell in love with the art of creating businesses, specifically the art of bootstrapping businesses. Mm -hmm. I have never invested more than, with the exception of the chocolate factory, which took some investment capital, everything else was like $100 is what wow. I took to start my businesses. With the language school, I believe it was $1,000. We had $1,000 in our bank account when we launched it. We slept on the floor on an inflatable mattress with a hole in it that would actually deflate 
through the night. So we'd, in the, at night, we'd go to bed on a mattress. In the morning, we would sleep. We would wake up on the floor because we couldn't afford anything else. That was the first business, but I loved it. And I haven't looked back. I've been doing it now for 12, 13 years. And I haven't looked back since. And I've had some, some successes, a lot of failures, but that's all part of the game. Yeah. And I love it. And um, especially because um, I don't think there are many people out there who bootstrap businesses. I did the same. And I did the same because I actually got robbed in Vietnam and literally made bankrupt. They took everything wow. off me. And so by that time, I had a job in Vietnam that was almost four years ago. And so I had a job there as a marketing manager for the digital marketing department of a software kind of company. Mm-hmm. and. The boss was horrendous, like literally a sociopath being racist against the Vietnamese. And for the foreigners, he had some special gifts too. So it was pretty, it was pretty insane to be there, to be honest. And so I basically, after the first week, I was like, okay, I need to get out of here as fast as possible. I always wanted, just like you, my own business, but it was never really on the radar. And I always thought like, you need to have this special idea, this one time, once in a lifetime thing, you know? So I kind of felt like, uh, you're not, you're not good enough to have a business. And then basically I sat down that one night when I came home from this job and I was like, Oh no, fuck it. Like, I'm definitely going to do something. I'm definitely going to get out of here and I'm not going to give this to anyone else, but myself. So I know that I'm going to make it. And that's when I started like the business bootstrapping it with, yeah, I think maybe, maybe $50 in the beginning too. And because I didn't have anything else by the time, but those 40 or $50, I had to eat oatmeal for six weeks, every single day, one bowl. And that's all I was able to eat. So there really? you go. Really? Wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, I eat oatmeal for breakfast every single morning, but then I do actually have other meals around it. So it's not quite as rough. I actually do like oatmeal, but I it's been, I'm choose to eat it, not forced to eat it. So it's, yeah. it's very different, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I probably could have eaten the noodle soups and stuff like that too from the, from the money because it's not that expensive. But the value of how long lasts a noodle soup versus how long does oatmeal last in your body was... Mm-hmm exponentially different. So exactly. I was like, no, Complex carbs and simple carbs, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so when you bootstrap a company, how do you approach just literally everything from the get-go? Because I think that would be really interesting for our listeners. Sure. So I'll stress that I bootstrap companies. Luckily, I'm in a position right now that I don't have to bootstrap, but it's only the way I know how to do it. So even when I start a new company, I kind of ignore the other resources I have, the other financial resources I have. Um, Network, I'll use networks between companies. I'll even maybe use some staff if I need to. But I will not take money from one company and spend it on another business idea because that's a big risk and I don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. So that's the first step. So when I go in there, I go into the mentality that I'm going to bootstrap it. The kind of businesses that I build, I'm not a visionary in the sense that I'm not creating something that nobody's ever thought of before, like Steve Jobs or Elon Musk or all those people out there. That's not kind of my kind of business methodology. I'm more of a, I see a need and I fill it kind of person. It's kind of different than inventing something that nobody has ever used before. So I, mm-hmm. generally, my business has come out of that. Since now I run multiple businesses, it's becoming easier because in any one of those businesses, I, sometimes you look for something and it doesn't exist. Or you do something in a business and you find out other people, which is my marketing business, other people could actually take advantage of what I'm doing in this business, even though it's just a team in my business. So why don't I make it its own business and offer this to people at large? So that's generally how I start the business. I see a need. 
I examine the need online. I have a background in search engine optimization. So I kind of mm. go online, like how many people are looking for this business? I assume I can sell it to 1% of those people if I get on the first page of Google. So 1%, how much is that worth? And I say, is that worth my time or not? Because you sometimes do it and you're like 1% and you, I can sell it for $10 and a thousand people look for it. That's $100 a month. I'm not going to spend time building a $100 a month business. But you can do other, you can do other examinations. It still doesn't guarantee it, but those are usually the first steps I do it. After that, I consider myself a Nike entrepreneur in the sense that I just do it. Uh, you know, I do not overthink things very much. If I go through those two steps, a week later, I'm starting the business. I put up the website. I'm by training, I'm a computer engineer. So putting up a website, I can do it in about a week. I don't care how it looks. I'll be honest. I don't overthink the names. No business, I believe, has succeeded or failed because of its name. Nike is not Nike because they decided to call it Nike. I mean, you know, it would have... It's Nike because of the business and the success. You know, Coca-Cola is not Coca-Cola because it picked a cool name. Right. It's because they had a business behind it. So I don't, you know, you could have called Coca-Cola anything else and they would have still been the company they are today. So I don't think much about it. I go online, find the first domain that vaguely makes sense. Yeah. I put up a five-page website and I launch it and I see if anybody buys it. So that's why when you bootstrap, my investments are very low. When I say $50, $60, that's pretty much a server and a domain name cost. I'm one of the cheap hosts. That's all you need to do to get your website up there. Then you start marketing it. I like search engine optimization because it's generally free. I don't generally do paid ads at the beginning. There are some techniques out there to throw $500 at it, see if anybody signs up. Great. I assume I don't have $500. And I think a lot of people don't have $500 that they can just throw in the trash to try out an idea. So SEO is a little more long-term. It'll take maybe take a few months, but I can see anybody's interested. And I try the business. A lot of them fail, but I've only lost $50 and maybe some time. So, and usually those businesses, maybe I go back to them a year down the road because while I did it, I learned something or I made some connections that I can use later on down the road. So I don't, you know, it's not like a total failure or a total loss. You always get something out of it, even when you're trying it. If you've never done this before, spend $50, you'll learn how to make a website because right. you're going to put up your own website. You're going to install WordPress. You're going to do whatever it is you need to do. That's worth $50 to me. So that's my methodology generally for launching businesses is see a need, check that there's a need, confirm there's a need, and then just do it. I love it. So how did you get to the point of having this mindset of, first of all, the failure is not a total failure. I always get something out of it. And then it's literally just trial and error. I can just move forward because I feel like in, especially in the entrepreneurial space, and maybe even more if you're on social media a lot, there's always this feeling, at least this is what I perceive from it, that people do not want to fail, that they shouldn't be failing, that failing is like the worst thing. You lose your reputation. Oh my God, your face. It almost feels like full of Asia on on social media because in Asia, Mm -hmm. this is what happens, right? Like don't lose your face. So how did you learn that? Was it a specific, like, was it a specific event where you, where you realized, ah, you know, actually it doesn't really matter or did you just develop that over time? The thing for me is, I flipped my definition of failure. Failing is not when a business doesn't work, right? Or doesn't make money. Hmm. Failure is when I stop trying. And if I never stop trying, I never fail. So by changing that definition, I have no fear of... Failure is the day I get up and I don't want to do this anymore. That day hasn't come yet. So by that definition, I don't consider myself having failed, ever. Business didn't work, that's not a failure. Yeah. Me not trying another business afterwards, that would have been a failure. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. So... With your, you said it's a new content uh, marketing agency. Mm-hmm. 
How did you approach that? I think in our in our entrepreneur space, there are a lot of marketers. So you probably want to know, oh, he's bootstrapping an agency. How to do that? Definitely. So the story behind this agency is, if you'd asked me a year ago, this wasn't even on my radar. So mm -hmm. what happened was I got invited to speak at a small conference in Mexico City back in March. And I'll be honest, the night before I hadn't prepared for my speech because I didn't know what I was doing. So I figured, I'm like, what should I talk about? Let me just talk about what I do in my marketing department, right? This is the methodology we use internally and it's what I've used to bootstrap six and seven figure online businesses. So I'm like, I'm, I think it's kind of basic, but some people might find it useful, right? So I went up there and I made this really awful slide presentation that was somebody in the audience that I knew who was a graphic designer. And she always would joke with me that you never use Comic Sans as a font in your presentations. So on purpose, I put Comic Sans and made the whole presentation like a comic book. I'd like my drawing, you know, comic <laughs> versions of myself in there. So I made it awful on like look kind of awful on purpose. And I went and gave it the next day. And to my surprise, half the room came up to me with this marketing methodology that, that we use in my companies and said, can you do that for us? And I was shocked. I just assumed everybody already did this. I'm like, doesn't everybody already know this? I'm like, you know, no, <laughs> they came and asked me to do it. So that planted the seed for the agency. Mm. But I still, it still wasn't something serious yet. After that, I found out that one of the people at that talk was actually a scout for a bigger talk with the conference you and I met at. And he liked my talk so much, he invited me to this big conference to talk about the same thing. So at that moment, I realized, okay, there's obviously an interest in this. And this, this is a group of a room full of entrepreneurs. This is not even the yeah. average population, the average person on the street. If entrepreneurs found this useful, imagine how much the average person on the street or non-online business people would find it. So I got together with an, a longtime friend of mine who was the head of marketing at a more traditional company in the United States. And I called him on the phone and I said, look, I have this opportunity. I don't have the bandwidth to do this by myself. I run you know, multiple businesses already. Are you interested? And literally, I, I said, you can take a day to think about it. He's like, no, I don't need to think. Yes, let's do it. So pretty much we signed our con partnership contract and we've been working together for the last about five or six months, getting everything ready to launch this. The methodology we have in place, I mean, we're not reinventing that. I know it works. Yeah. It's just a matter of getting larger teams in place so we can implement this for other people that are out there as well. Right. And there's a few things about onboarding that we're working out as well because... I've used it in my businesses, but I knew the business space very well. Luckily, my partner has got all this experience in customer research and all the rest of it. So he's coming up with the onboarding process. So what, <laughs> we get all the info and then I, you know, I, I help the team implement it. And we're launching in January. So Ooh, depending on exciting. when you guys listen to this podcast, you know, it might already be launched by the time you're there. We already have a number of people signed on just even before we launch. We have a number of people signed on. We're starting with them and we're really excited about it. So it, yeah. it's a nice, fun new project. That sounds super amazing. So let's dig in a little bit then. What is it? What's the methodology actually that you're going to... You don't teach it, I think. You're just going to do it for others, right? We'll do it for others. I'm going to teach it in the future, but we're there's a, the challenge I'm finding with building an online course is that it takes about $300 in software to do it well a month, right? In software to do it well. And I haven't figured out a way around, say, hey, I'll sell you an online course to teach you. Oh, but you have to pay $300 a month every month after that just to implement what I'm teaching you. I don't know if people would actually be happy about that, right? Where mm. you paid for this, but you also get to have to pay for three other things before you, yeah. you know, take my course. And that's the only reason why I'd be happy to teach it. In the talks I give, I walk through it and I'm happy to share right now, step-by-step step, what we do in the process because it's not rocket science. In parts, you can find all of it all over the web. I didn't mm -hmm. invent most of these things myself. But it is a lot of work. 
Right. And that's, you know, the reason why the agencies there is most people don't want to build a team. I, it takes five people, a team of five people to implement it every right. single time. And most people don't want to hire five people and manage a team of five people and pay with the software and all everything else. If you're starting off in bootstrapping, I did this myself for years. And if you're starting off in bootstrapping, yeah, do it yourself. But I promise you, as soon as you can afford to pay other people to do it, you will want to pay other people to do it. So, so much. Exactly. <laughs> so much. It's, it's boring. It's like factory work. I mean, literally, you go in there every day and you implement it. But that's what a lot of useful things in life are, right? Exercise mm. is about yeah. going and doing pretty repetitive stuff for months mm. and years. Healthy diet. You don't eat well for a weekend and expect results. You have to eat well for months in order that's to see results. That's why it didn't work. <laughs> Yeah, well, that, exactly. That, that, and, you know, we were talking about sleep earlier. Sleep is not, you can't make up sleep by sleeping well for one day and not sleeping for seven days. Yeah. You need to sleep consistently for the long term. Yeah. Business, I have found, is the same thing. People don't expect it, though, because we watch the TV and it's the guy who built his business in six months and sold it for $100 million. That's what people think business is. I don't know how to do that. I know how to build. I have a joke that, you know, if I wrote a business book, it would be how to build a million dollar business in 10 years and nobody would buy it because nobody wants to know how to spend a decade building a million dollar business. That's what I know how to do. It took seven, but it's not, I don't know how to do it overnight, but it's consistent day after day. I went into work and I got the stuff done. So that all leads into the actual process of what yeah. this is. And there's um, generally four steps that broke it down into some micro steps, but generally what we do in the infinite upcycle, the website's infiniteupcycle.com is we do content amplification. So we repurposing is part of it, but it's not the entire company, but some people just do the repurposing segment. So when we work with clients, the first month we get to know them, we get to know their brand and we do what extensive keyword research using multiple tools to figure out what content to create. We have an internal formula that we use so that we are as sure as we can be that this content is going to work for you. And what does that working for you mean in the content space? It means it's going to generate traffic and generate links. Links meaning the rest of your website will rank more highly. It doesn't always matter that maybe that article ranks on the first page of Google because if you got 30 links back to it and your main page just got on the first page of Google as a result of the links back to that article, that's still a win. I mean, maybe that article isn't there, but you got the links back to it and then people read that article afterwards. We yeah. also, so that's the first step we do. We do all this research. Usually we'll go through 200 to 300 ideas for a high-end client because we need to create a year's worth of content ideas before we even start working with you. Right. And 70% of those we get rid of using this process. It's a very time-consuming process. It takes about one to two weeks per client of full-time work of one of our staff members to come up with a year's worth of really good content because that's how in-depth we get into our research. It's not just, hey, five minutes and we run a little software and hit, you know, hit send and this. We check what the competition is. We see how difficult it is. We see who else has been linking to it and talking about this particular piece of content. We do that for every single piece of content we go through. And it, imagine it takes, we've done the math, it's about 15 minutes per idea to do it. But if do two, 300 ideas, you do the math. I mean, that's a huge <laughs> amount of time we spend doing the research. Yeah. So we do that all the first. That's step one in our process. Step two in our process then is we actually create an amazing piece of content. Part of that evaluation is we, the last question there is, can we do a better job than what's already out there? And that's, you have to kind of leave ego to the side saying, I can do it better, but really, can you? Because sometimes you go out there and somebody's written a 10,000 word article with videos and audios and everything. 
yeah, you can't. I mean, you're simply sorry. They spent $100,000 on making this piece of content. Can you feasibly do better? Probably not. So even if it's worth it, we won't make that piece of content. Mm. Otherwise, we move on to the next step and we write it. And we have professional writers. Some of the people we brought on already have 20 years of experience in writing. They've been editors for newspapers in the US and in the UK. So we generally work in the English market that are writing this content. This is not $5, $15 from the Philippines, somebody who speaks a little English. I'm guilty of having hired those kind of people in the past, back when that worked, back in the early, you know, in mid-2000s, late-2000s, and it doesn't work anymore. You need to do some really great content. That's what we do. So we write it, we have an editor check it, we throw it out there. That's step two. Step three is what we call the, con- the repurposing part of it, where we take that content and we create eight unique images. We have a graphic designer that creates eight unique images with excerpts from the content on it as well. So mm-hmm. might be a quote, might be some important fact that was in, in the article. And they create that and then they resize it for all the social media outlets out there. So that, those, those eight, we do the main social media. So Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. I was like, I'm forgetting one there, Twitter. So essentially we create 40 unique images for you. We take those images, implant it back into your article. So your article now looks awesome because you have these custom images in your article. But then we do hashtag research and we post it to all those social media platforms at the ideal time. So we also Mm. research it by industry. And so, you know, we'll find out that in language, you know, in certain industries, it's 8.30 to 9 o'clock on Instagram, US time, because that's when people on Instagram, they check it when they're commuting to work. So we know that statistic. So we'll do that. But that's not for every single industry. Different industries have different times. And we will post it then. We will do hashtag research to see which trending hashtag in your area and make sure that those are included with the links going back to your website. So you're drawing traffic. You're all over social media. Imagine 40 posts a week. They'll see you everywhere. Try doing that yourself. Or I know, Monique, you're, you do a lot of social media. It's a lot of work. I mean, you know, just being up oh. and on there all the time <laughs> is a ton of work. We do yep. all of that for you. Mm-hmm. And then the final step we do is a method of search engine optimization and link building called the skyscraper method. But We've modified it a little bit. Essentially, we find people who've linked to similar content in the past and we do outreach to them and say, hey, look, you expressed interest in this topic before. We have this new piece of content that we think you might be interested in if you'd like to share. But we use a softer approach. We just don't ask for a link. We kind of try to build a relationship with this person. As a result of this method, I've appeared on podcasts. I've been interviewed by newspapers in Chile and Italy and the UK because of this outreach. I didn't get a link per se but the story was compelling enough from that first email that they didn't link to the piece of content I wanted, but they gave me a newspaper article as a result of it. So we do all of that for our clients all in one process. What makes it unique, as I said, all these different four, these four different processes, you can find them online. Google it. Right. People have written articles on it. Hmm. Very few companies, if any, that I've seen kind of do them together. And I find that that makes you lose a lot of work. In step one, for example, you're doing work that you can use in step three and four. But Generally, the company, there's a company that only focuses on step one, then you hire another company to do step three and another company to do step four. So they're spending 20% of their time, all three of these companies, doing exactly the same thing. By working with us, they're all, you're getting a much more efficient package, right? Because we only do it once and we pass it to all of our teams. So I know you're all about efficiency. So that's the whole (laughs) thing about this process. We're passing things between our teams and not doubling up on the work in order to do it for this company. And we do it all. Essentially, I know it's boring, but we met in the financing. We call ourselves like the index fund of online marketing. We're that thing where, you know, consistently 
you work with us for months and years and you will get your X return on your investment month over month, year over year. We're not the, hey, let's invest in Apple in 12 months down the road. You're going to have a million dollars in stock, right? It's (laughs) it's not that kind of thing. This is the kind of thing where you just, we do it month on month. Mm -hmm. We're not a magic bullet. If you need a company to take your page number one in a week or a month or two months, that's not us. We're the ones who you, if you really want to build a sustainable business Mm -hmm. with a diversified traffic source for the long term, then please feel free to contact us and work with us because that's, those are the kind of clients we're looking for. Those are the, that's the kind of results we can provide. It's, we're not a magic bullet. Yeah. I totally love that. And as you say, you know, like most of these steps, like they're pretty well known, especially if you're in the marketing space or if you work with a lot of content. I mean, the first year in my business, I pretty much spent doing all of this by myself indeed, plus having the business plus, you know, mm. because I'm kind of this person, I always volunteer somewhere. So I would have like <laughs> split my time between all of this too. And man, it's definitely like a burnout uh, guarantor. Yeah. So I mean, much. I did it for two years because bootstrap, right? Yeah. You don't have the money. I couldn't pay anybody. I had to do it myself. Yeah. I promise you. And you and I talked about, we haven't created the course for it yet. We're trying to figure out how to, you know, work around that, that it has software involved, but I'm happy to teach this to people. Yeah. For free. I mean, I will teach you exactly how to do this. Right. And I promise you, as soon as you make enough money to not have to do this, you will want to hire people to do it. It's not, it's, I'll be honest, it's not fun. Yeah, exactly. It's not like a good, I've yet to meet somebody who says, woo, I can't wait to do this for eight hours a day, every day, five days a week. I mean, it's not, it's not that kind of thing. There are certain aspects of it that are fun. I think the writers enjoy the writing. The graphic designers enjoy the graphic design, all that kind of stuff. But yeah. if you, as one person, have to do all of it, you have to learn keyword research, how to write. And I admit, I can't write to save my life. Graphic <laughs> design, same thing. I, my graphic, I can't graphic design to save my life. And SEO, to be able to do the email outreach and their tools and stuff like that. Can you do mm. it? Of course you can. Yeah. But it is just a lot of work. Right. So let's get a little bit in this part of efficiency because obviously that saves you a ton of time. It, In the long run, I would say it will save you money too. And um, it certainly helps you to stay sane. But I realized that when you were talking, you mentioned one thing specifically often and it was the research. So how important do you think is the research in the beginning before you even start putting out content, writing content for clients? Like, Do you also research what tone of voice they use and whatsoever. And how does it also compile with your, because I feel like you took this particular part from also how you bootstrap companies because Mm. your research must be really in depth there to be able to, you know, hit the market. Exactly. And you're entirely right. Part of our onboarding process is also, we do it, you know, we ask if you guys have like, you know, customer personas. So we need, we would love to know that before you get there. Um, if you have a, like a brand work worksheet. So this is our tone. This is our voice. These are our brand colors. These are our logos. We ask for that. If not, we'll create a basic one for you by just examining your, you know, we can, we'll do our best by examining your website. We also have a questionnaire we will send out saying, okay, mm-hmm. what, what do you do in these circumstances? How would you like to do it? Because we need to match the voice of your company. If we write a very corporate article for you and your company, like Monique for yours, if it's a very personable brand, and then suddenly, you know, this sounds like it was written for, you know, a white paper for a fortune 500 company that just totally does not work for you and your audience. No. <laughs> people say, hey, that's why people are sitting there. They, they tell us, why does it take a whole month to onboard a client? I will argue that we do it efficiently because we do it in a month. I mean, you know, that there's a lot of stuff we need to do. There's going to be multiple meetings the first month with our account specialist, which is, right now is my partner. And he's got 20 years of experience in this. He will sit down with you for hours. It's a total, I think, four to six hour meetings. And we, we, he sometimes splits them up. 
Wow. That's how much we, we need to get to know you. Yeah. Before we do anything else, we need that. It's the base of the entire infinite upcycle. It's if we don't build a good base, it's like any other construction, right? You can put a beautiful house on it, but if the base is bad, it's going to crumble in a year or two. And we need to do that for your business as well. Yeah. Do you think that a lot of entrepreneurs that they're going wrong with the research or not even doing it or don't know how to do research for their business, for example? Definitely. I think most advanced entrepreneurs might do that because they've learned the value in it. But I found a lot of people who they create businesses by thinking, hey, this seems like a good idea. Let me just do it. But they don't actually research it beforehand, especially, and I'm speaking here in the online space, right? If you're going right. to put a restaurant on a corner, even then I think online keyword research would probably help you because <laughs> you can see how many people are looking for like, you know, Filipino restaurants in your area and you could figure out whether you probably have enough people to sustain this. Right. 99% of people who go into businesses, I don't think they know that this is possible today. And so they don't do it. And I strongly believe that this is why I know like 80% of the businesses fail, maybe even more in the first, you know, 80% the first year and I think 90% in two years. If people did this, that number would go way down because just having an idea that you like is not necessarily a good idea for a business. Following your passion, I'm not a big fan of that as far as for a business ideas either because it's not going to be your passion once it's your business, I promise you. I mean, you know, once you have to do it for keep your passions, your passions and keep your business, your business and just do the research beforehand. It seems like a lot, but just do a one or one or two weeks of Q. It's not like I'm not talking years here of research. Mm. It's one or two weeks of research and you can save yourselves years of work and thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. So if you would have to, well, you do it all the time. So if you're starting a new business, right? How do you specifically go, like, do you ask audiences some questions? Do you, like, do you use the ask method? Do you use, like, only the keyword research? What do you use? I generally stick with the keyword research because I assume, I use a little bit of the ask method now because I do have a network and audiences I can do it for. But I'm going to assume most people out there when they're starting their business, you don't have an audience. And the ask method, asking your parents or asking your close friends, it doesn't really work if that's your audience. I mean, because yeah. you're kind of in your own circles. Keyword research is unbiased. You can look for how many people in Chiang Mai, you know, where Monique is, are looking for this in the last month and even check over the last year because some of them are seasonal, right? Where they go up in the summers and they go down. That'll give you a great idea. If you can get into the top three results, there's a little bit more complicated side to that, but you can see how competitive it is to get into the top three results for that if you have the right tools. So you can say, yeah, I could do that in like three to six months, especially mm -hmm. if you have a very kind of um, long tail keywords, kind of this very niche product. And then you can decide, okay, if I can get in the top three, I can get... 10% of those people to click on it, 1% of those people who click on it will buy my product. Is it worth my time? Yeah. And just do that. I mean, that will, I think, discard 90% of the ideas that you have right off the bat. And then the ones that are left have a decent chance of success. You still have to work for it. It's not something that, hey, just because I did the keyword research, it's a done deal. Not even close. But without the keyword research, I think you those you might do one of those nine out of 10 ideas that are bad ones anyway. So even if you put the work, there's not going to, you know, they would never have worked in the first place. So you can discount those. Right. Yeah. I totally love the aspect of going deeper into the research because I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs as well, no matter in what space they just, as you say, you know, they have this idea, maybe they even see other people doing it. So they think like, Oh, you know, it must be working. So they just go out <laughs> and do it. And I'm like, 
Yeah. I call I mean, that yeah, I call that the taco stand uh, mentality. <laughs> again, I live in Mexico, but I've seen it all the time where somebody puts up a taco stand and it's successful, right? So the people go there. <laughs> so somebody decides to put up exactly the same taco stand right next to the other taco stand selling exactly the same products. The best you can hope for if you do that is stealing 50% of the customers of your competitors. So it'll be half as successful as the guy who's already done it. And chances are the third one's going to open, the fourth one's going to open, the fifth one's going to open. By the end of the year, there's going to be 30 taco stands selling exactly the same thing and nobody can make ends meet. I mean, that's kind of, you know, if you're just do the copy method, that's the best you can hope for. And for yeah. all you know, the other taco stand is not even making money. It just, you know, has a lot of, lot of customers because they're undercutting the market, but they're losing money every night because they don't know how to count, do accounting. Yeah. So yeah, it's not a good methodology. <laughs> All right. So now when we look at the research or after the research, like how do you think should entrepreneurs use the results? Because I, I think sometimes they just do the research and then it's there and then that's it. Yeah. The research should help you pint kind of fine-tune who your audience is. Again, I'm assuming you don't already have people you can reach out to. If you have like a million followers on YouTube, this you'd use an entirely different method for doing this research, right? Yeah. Exactly. But you know, if you're starting off and you don't, the research should have helped you pinpoint not only your your exactly your business idea niche. So I'll use something, you know, I do language learning, so I'll use something I'm familiar with. Don't teach Spanish, but you might find that the niche you find is Mexican Span Mexican accent Spanish for business, for business people who are coming to Mexico, right? Doesn't sound like much, but there might be a market there. You can find out whether anybody else is doing it. And that pinpoints who your audience is, right? People who want to learn Mexican Spanish, because by definition, those are the people you're going to be going after. And then build your product around that. Remember the formula I mentioned to figure out how, whether it's worth your time financially, you can work that backwards. So you can kind of go back and say, okay, this is going to get me five clients a month. I need $2,000 a month. So how much do I have to charge for clients? Perfect. What can I sell for that price? Because, you know, let's say it's $500. I can't do tutoring for $500. Most people won't pay that. Maybe I can make a course right. and sell it for $500. So start with this. Don't, most people go the other way. Most people start with, this is my product. How do I sell it? Right. No, no. Start with a more general idea. Do the research. Then determine what your product is based on what product needs, you know, is going to meet the needs of these people and your needs. Don't only think about the customers because their needs might be a $5 Spanish course, right. but your needs are, I actually have to pay rent. <laughs> you know, so you're spending oh, six months making a $5 Spanish course is not worth your time. So find a place where those two things intersect. And then after that, it's about focus and discipline. You have to get up every morning and you have to work at it and you have to get that product out there. A lot of people get Love the idea phase, hate the execution phase. Right. And it's just like writing a book. What do they say? 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration is what it <laughs> takes to write a book. Sorry, business is the same thing. Everybody who comes up to me and says, hey, I have a business idea. I, so do I. I have a list of like 200 business ideas. Each one takes 10 years. I, yeah. I would need like 2,000 years to do all the business ideas. I give in some of the talks I give, especially in Latin American countries where there's a lot more of that fear of sharing. I've started actually putting my business ideas as a background for the questions area. When they ask me, are you afraid of anybody stealing your business ideas? I'm like, no, knock yourself out. I mean, all of these are a decade's worth of work. I don't have time to do it. I'll come up with 10 more business ideas by the end of this week. Do it. Ideas are easy. You got to put in the work. Yeah, I love that. Talking about putting in the work, I know in the beginning, before we recorded, we talked a little bit about what you actually makes you efficient and it's a discipline. That's I exactly kind it. of only guess that comes also from the martial arts. Is that correct? 
I think that's where it was developed because I can assure you, if you asked my parents when I was in high school, if I was a discipline, not at all. My sister was. I definitely was not. I developed discipline kind of later in life. I would say once I started becoming an entrepreneur, even though I'd done martial arts for a few years at that point, it was once I became an entrepreneur and was had to be more self-driven that I you started using discipline. Part of the mentality there is people look at discipline like this four-letter word, like, oh, discipline, that's awful. That takes away all my freedom. That does. I totally disagree. For me, discipline is what gives me freedom. I know what I'm going to be doing. I don't have to decide what I'm doing from nine to 10 every day. That's when I answer my emails. I am very disciplined about doing that. Where people stumble is like they think discipline is only for the work. No, no, I'm disciplined about my free time too. I mean, you know, I do not work on the weekends. That's discipline. I spend it with family. I spend it with friends. I do it relaxing. I do not work after six o'clock at night. I mean, okay, sometimes a fire will happen. It doesn't, but that happens like once a year. You know, I mean, literally after six o'clock at night, that's time for me to relax as well. I'm just as disciplined about that. I'm disciplined about what I eat. I can tell Mm -hmm. you, you know, what time I eat every single day. Half the meals are the same every day because I don't want to have to think about what I'm going to make. My discipline kind of goes across everything in life. So discipline, I don't think discipline works if you only apply it to one aspect of your life. So I'm going to be disciplined at work, but I'm not going to be disciplined anywhere else. Sorry. And then your, your health, if you're not disciplined in being healthy, then your health is going to encroach on the discipline at work. If you're not health, you know, disciplined about your social relationships, whether that be with your family, your spouse, or your friends, that's going to encroach on your health. If you're not disciplined about your mental and personal well-being, whether that be on the spiritual side or the, you know, all that, you're not going to be social or you're not going to do as much as work. So you need to kind of apply this to all aspects of your life. And trust me, it's much less stressful. I feel like I have a lot of free. Part of my discipline is I take a trip every six months. Mm-hmm. I travel every six months with my wife. That's discipline. People will think, that oh, that's not fun. It's not spontaneous. I'm like, oh, you know, spontaneous is sometimes... You can be spontaneous on the trips. I can be spontaneous in my free time on the weekends. I mean, yeah. it's not like I plan out exactly what I'm doing every Saturday. When I say, you know, spending time with the family, it's not like every month we're doing something at 9.01. No, no. It's, I'll be spontaneous then. I can be spontaneous within my things at work. If I have to answer emails from 9 to 10, I can be spontaneous about which emails I send out if that's something that people enjoy, I guess. I mean, you can be spontaneous there as well. But at least I know what I'm doing and I don't have to make these kind of big... I don't have to decide to answer emails. I don't have to decide to go on a break. This is just what I do at these times. Yeah. I think this notion is something that I am teaching a lot. For example, like the how you do one thing is how you do everything. It is so important. Mm -hmm. People think they can be super flexible and super whatever lousy in their free time. And then at work, they can just get down to it. And I'm like, well, that, that might work for like a few weeks or for a few months if you can. But in one of the, one of the areas, you're not yourself then. If that's not mm-hmm. you, you're going to have to push yourself to do it and that will burn you out earlier, sooner or later too, right? And so this is a big, big thing for me. And I mean, for me, I pretty much got discipline just by dancing ballet. I got into ballet with three and a half years. So basically Mm -hmm. the button was already there. Whereas actually my parents sometimes used to say that I didn't need ballet necessarily to be disciplined, but it obviously helped to learn it. Right. So, um, I guess what stuck out to me when you spoke now was like that you say you use the discipline to be very self-driven, but you don't believe in working what your passion is. Yes. There, there's, there's, that a bit. Of course. So the way I look at discipline, and this will explain a little bit about 
the passion because I think people confuse passion with their why, for lack of a better word, right? They say, mm. I'm passionate about it. This is why I do it because I love painting. If you dig deeper, maybe it's not that you love painting. It's that you love the free time and all the rest of it or that you love the creativity. You love the freedom of being able to do it. I, you know, I'm disciplined. I want to be disciplined because I want to travel. Why do you want to travel? I mean, you know, people kind of look at the surface and they don't go in any deeper. So the way I kind of envision my discipline personally is kind of like I climb, I'm climbing mountains. Mm. And in my life, I can climb multiple mountains. So it's not like this is my one mountain. My life is one mountain and I'm just climbing up it. So the first thing I do when I kind of figure out my method, what I'm going to be disciplined about now, because remember what I'm working towards now is might not be the same thing I'm working towards a year, two years from now. So you don't have to make it this grand life why. It's just like your why at this moment. Yeah. And the reason I like the mountain analogy is when you're climbing mountains, you can always see the peak. And your why is that. It's the peak at the top of the mountain. No matter where you are on the climb, you might lose sight of it for a minute, but you just go a little farther and then you see it again. Then you right. see it again and it'll start getting closer I as like you're doing that. it. And that's the key to having discipline because there will be days you're tired and you don't want to do it. Just like mountain climbing, it's a matter of putting one foot in front of the other. There, you're going to go ups and downs. There are crags along the way, like climbing a mountain for anybody who's done it. It's not a straight up. There are crags you kind of got to go over. So you're going to go up and go into a little valley for a little bit. You kind of go on, on the way up there. But you always keep your why in mind. And there might be a morning where you wake up and you say, huh, I don't want to do this. All you have to do is look at the top of the mountain. And if that why, if you did a good job in figuring out where your why is, that's enough for you to at least take one step towards it that day. Yeah. I'm not saying you have to be running up that thing every single day. <laughs> I go back to what I was talking about before. You need to plan your rests, just like mountain climbing. It's not about climbing 24 hours a day, nonstop to reach the top. You might even, you know, you climb for three days, then you take a day break mm -hmm. and then you get up and you climb for three days again, or you might take a week off and then you climb for three days again. As long as you keep that mountain peak in sight, you'll get there. And then, okay, that peaks, I've tackled that peak. Let me try something else. And then you're going to get more confident in this as you do it discipline, just like mountain climbing is a skill that you kind of have to work at. It's not like, oh, I read a book and now I know how to do discipline. This is easy. No, you got to do it. You got to find what works for you. Again, using the mountain climbing, you know, you have to find the right shoes that work for you. You have to find the right gear that works for you. And it might not be the gear that works for your best friend. You know, it might, you yeah. know, they, the way they, there's some mountain climbers do barefoot, right? And they're yeah. able to climb up the mountain. The way they take up the mountain will be really different. Some people just want to go up that cliff and really rock climb to the top, right? I know that doesn't work for me. I got to figure out height. So if I was mountain climbing, I kind of go around the side and I'll kind of make my way. It might take a little longer, but that works for me. So yeah. you kind of have to find your own way of doing it. I love that. I love the analogy with like climbing the mountain because obviously that, that works a lot. But a lot of people think they have to or they can just only climb one mountain. So how important is efficiency to you now that you have multiple businesses? There's a kit coming along, travels every six months. Mm-hmm. So it's gonna be every three months next year too. For some reason, I've oh, good. I've been happy. I've been invited to speak at a few conferences, so I, I'm gonna have nice. to travel a good amount more next year. Incredibly, I mean, discipline is key to me be able to do what I'm doing. If I mm. wasn't, if I had to wake up every morning and decide, okay, which business am I going to be working on? How much time am I going to spend with my wife and my son? I wouldn't be able to do it. I mean, that's just so overwhelming to have to do every day. Yeah. But if you sit down and you figure that out beforehand and you stick to it. It also, I mean, not only does the work work better, but your personal life works better as well. Because, you know, if you tell your family, okay, I don't work after six, they'll know this is when I can, you know, this is when, you know, my husband or my dad is available and they expect it. So they're not upset when I don't spend time with the middle of the day because they know that that's 
when I'm working. So clear communication is obviously key in that as well. Mm. For the work, it's the same thing. People know, don't bother me on the weekends. I tell my staff is the same. I don't want to, I'm not going to bother you guys on the weekend because I believe you, they need the time as well for all this free time. I wouldn't be able to do, run multiple businesses, specifically multiple small businesses, small to medium, without the discipline. I I credit it for 90% of my success. I can, if you don't mind, I'll tell a little story of how I figured out yeah, please. one of my superpowers. Yeah. Um, because it's a relatively recent realization for me. I went to a conference about two years ago. It was a small one, about 50 people were in the room. And one of the activities they had us do was they gave us this pile of post-it notes and they said, okay, write down your typical day, you know, one activity with a time. So 6 a.m. wake up. 6.30, have breakfast, all that kind of. Just go sit down and write down your whole day from start to finish on a typical day. I didn't really get the point of the exercise. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I started writing, you know, 6 o'clock, I wake up, six, you know, 6.15, have coffee, 6.30, go to the gym, 8 o'clock, come back, meditate for, th- you know, 20 minutes and have breakfast, all, you know, made my way all through the day. But I had my head down and I was writing these things, I don't know, 20 or 30 post-it notes. And then I look up and look around the room and to my surprise, everybody was stumped. They're like, what? I don't have a typical day. What's a typical day look like? I, you know, nobody in this room with like 50 people had a typical day. So they take, made us take the post notes and like put them up on the wall. And everybody kind of looked at me like I was the strange one. Like, what? You do that every day? I'm like, well, yes, this is just a typical day for me. Don't you guys do that? And I realized that that's not how most people do it. And at that, it, it, I didn't realize at the point, but kind of thinking back at it, after a few weeks, I'm like, I think that's my superpower. It's super boring. I mean, you know, discipline is like the most boring superpower that anybody can imagine. But I realize that I'm very disciplined because I stick to that every single day. I can tell you, what do you do at three o'clock in the What are you doing at three o'clock in the afternoon? Maybe not specifically what I'm doing today, but that is my time to kind of get my deep, one of my deep work sessions happens from two to four every single day. So that's what yeah. I'm doing from two to four every single day, Monday through Friday. So that's the story of how I discovered that, you know, discipline was my superpower and that not everybody was doing it, even though I believe everybody should be. Oh, I mean, you preach to the choir here because like, <laughs> this is, this is part of what I do with all of my clients to actually figure out what their perfect average day would look like and then get to it, literally uh-huh. get to it. And this is like, I think many people misunderstand the notion of high performance, whereas I literally built the dream lifestyles for them and just intervene the work into it because this just happened to be possible. So yeah, I, I very much know what you, what you're talking about. And I've, I'm, I was laughing already because I knew you're going to say like, no one else is going to write it down because when <laughs> no, I do, ex- I was shocked. Yeah, I was shocked. I'm like, it's really? so funny. Yeah. I do this exercise too in a different way, but I do this exercise sometimes too. And maybe look at me and be like, what do you mean? my average day and I'm like (laughs) you know your your usual day how does it look like I don't know I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow I'm like this is this is a bad case this is really bad that's it I could I plan my weeks two weeks in advance as well I don't do more than that because I find that that's a little too difficult but I can tell you you know my to-do list for the next two weeks it's written down I use an app called Wonderlist simple to-do list app it's nothing complicated and I just write down I have my three three or four big to-dos for this is specifically for work. And I put my three or four big to-dos and I make sure I check them off. And if I finish early some days, I actually end my day early because I'm like, okay, yeah. I finished my goal. I have more practice, so that rarely happens because I'm pretty good at <laughs> estimating how long things are going to take me. Right. But I'll, I'll finish early as a reward. Some days yeah. you might have to work an extra hour to get it because you didn't time it right. Fine. But then on average, it helps me a lot because I, I don't have to think. I know exactly what I'm doing today. I could tell you for the next three days exactly what I'm doing. And that's nice. Yeah. 
I love this. And I think like everyone should appreciate more the notion of not having to make decisions so often. That's exactly it. Decision <sighs> fatigue, right? I think that's what oh, they call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I talk about it so much. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So with the notion of being so disciplined, what does efficiency mean to you? Ah, efficiency. We'll go back to the mountain analogy is getting as close to that goal on today as I can. Oh. And I don't judge myself if on certain days I can't because I struggle. I strongly believe that, you know, in planning, spending more time planning my rest than I do planning my work. And so for me, efficiency is just getting as close to that goal as I can today. And whatever that means for the day, that's fine. But generally speaking, you can see, you could, you know what, you know, when you've worked towards your goal and you've gotten something done, it's, yeah. it's not a mystery. You know, you've done it. I love it. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. That's a great, great definition. All right. So we're almost at the end. To wrap oh. this up, I have one more question. Uh-oh. So looking back in hindsight, <laughs> if you would have to basically give your top three tips for starting a business or bootstrapping it and looking back, which are the three things that you think you would never be able to bootstrap a business without? Okay. Are those the same th- three things or are these two different lists of three things? No, same three things. Okay. Okay. So... The first one, we've touched on a lot of these topics here in the conversation today. So first one is research first. Make sure Mm -hmm. that your business idea has a chance of succeeding before you spend any time on it. Again, that's the biggest thing that I see entrepreneurs go into, jump into before they actually start a business is they don't actually check if anybody wants to do it. Two, make sure you plan that you have the time to do this business. Most people will start it as a side hustle. We don't have the luxury of dropping everything and just working 50 hours because we have, a I don't know, rich parents are going to support us. So make sure you have the time. If you don't have the time, plan the time. This goes into the discipline conversation. I'm going to put aside one hour a day to work on this, to write, to do whatever it is. Then do it. You know, it's easy. I mean, planning, it's easy. It's like people who want to go to the gym in the New Year's. You, they go for two weeks and they don't. Yeah, you have to go every single day. You have yep. to show up even on days you don't want to do it. And then my final tip would be just do it. Analysis paralysis is probably the most common reason I've seen for people not doing something where they just spend all that time planning it and they want it to be perfect before they do the first piece of work. Don't. Just do it. Get started. You'll learn much more in the first few months of trying than you will by sitting and planning on a paper and doing spreadsheets. I have never written a business plan in my life. I mean, you know, that whole thing where you spend like a 30-page business plan with projections for two or three years. I'm like, don't. Spend three months actually doing your business. That's a lot more useful than the whole business. Business plan, that's that old methodology they used to teach people like 40 or 50 years ago. And I think it only works now if you're looking to the venture capital world. They want to see a business plan. If it's just you building a lifestyle business or a small business, do it. Awesome. I love it. Ray, thank you so, so much for coming on the show, taking the time today. Um, Let people know where they can find you and what they can find there. Well, thanks, Monique. Thanks for having me on the show. You can get in touch with me multiple ways. So you can either go to livelingua.com, which is my online language school, go to the staff page, and I have my email published. So it's not like, oh, and if you sign up, I actually email personally every new student who signs up for (laughs) livelingua. And we get, you know, we have thousands. So it takes a little bit of time. You can also go to my company, theinfiniteupcycle.com. Also go to the About Us page, and you will find not only my email, but all my social media there. You can contact me directly. I encourage it. I know most people never do it, but 
I answer everybody. So if you contact me there. And finally, you can also get in touch with me through my podcast where I help teachers start online businesses, either as a side hustle or as a full-time business, The Anomalous Educator. You can find it on iTunes. You can also find the website, anomalouseducator.com. And that contact page also comes straight to me. So very easy to get in touch with. Awesome. And as you guys know, this will all be linked back in our show notes somewhere below, above, right, left, wherever it is on your podcast app. Again, thank you so much, Ray. It was a great conversation. I loved all of the insights and I hope we're going to meet at the next conference somewhere out there. Definitely. Thanks, Monique. <laughs> thank you. You've been listening to Efficiency On Demand. On Demand. We hope you've learned about your ultimate potential, how to control your time, how to create some clarity in your crazy life, and how to live life limitless. Limitless. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. And please follow on Instagram at Secret Weapon to Efficiency. We'll see you next time on Efficiency On Demand with Monique. Remember... Slow down to speed up.